And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Joshua Wall walks in, got the one Major Junior. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. Hey, it's Matt Potter from the Guelph Storm. This is Axler LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Nathai Gaucher. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. Hey, guys. This is Ty Nelson from the North Day Battalion, and this is the Pipeline Show. NCAA. This is Ryan McAllister for the Western Michigan Broncos. This is Wyatt Kaiser from Minnesota Duluth. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. The NHL Draft. This is Adam Fantilli of the University of Michigan. This is Ryan Leonard. I play for Team USA. I'm Nate Danielson of the Brandon Lee Kings. My name is Adam Guyam. I'm playing for Chippewa Field. Hi, I'm Grayson Sochin. I'm with the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, this is Jacob Fowler, goaltender for the Youngstown Phantoms. I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. And more. Brandon! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. Of course, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That is Alberta's best beef jerky. You can't win friends with salad. If you have not yet had a chance to try some Wilhock Beef Jerky, then you have to rectify that as soon as possible. Your taste buds will thank me for it. Get out to Leduc or Spruce Grove or West Edmonton Mall. Or, if you're in Western Canada, simply go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. They will ship it to you, any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. Let them know the Pipeline Show sent you. I have four guests for you on this week's episode of the program. All of them will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Troubled Monk is located in Red Deer, and they make craft beverages worth sharing, whether it's beer or spirits. They have a lemon-lime vodka soda that I'm drinking right now. Not as I speak, but that's what I have been drinking you can try the troubled tea and they have a variety of sodas as well lots to choose from go to troubledmonk.com slash shop see what they have in stock right now and then if you're in alberta you can go to your local liquor store and if they don't have your troubled monk selection on their shelf you can request them to bring it in all of that information is at troubledmonk.com slash shop as well now usually what i would do in this opening segment is go through a bunch of news and notes from around the Canadian Hockey League, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, the USHL, the North American Hockey League, or the NCAA, but I'm not doing that this week because some really crappy news at the end of this week, uh, especially if you're a Edmonton-based sports fan or from Alberta or you're a sports fan in general, in Canada, you've probably heard of uh, both John Short and Robin Brownlee, and unfortunately, we lost both of them late this week on the same day, Thursday. John Short had been ill. He passed away in hospital. He was in his mid to late 80s. So in some regard, that was not a shock. He had lived a long life, and uh, what a life he lived. Jason Greger, who worked very closely with uh, John Short for many years, uh, check out his stuff at Oilers Nation. For those who aren't necessarily familiar with John Short, let me put it to you this way. I grew up three hours away from Edmonton in Cold Lake. I would go to bed every night with my little Sony Walkman that had AM, FM radio on it. And some people will go to sleep, they'll read a book or something like that. For me, it was listening to John Short's sports talk from 9 p.m. till midnight or until I fell asleep. But every night I would do that. He was sort of the gateway into sports for me. This would have been in the early to mid to late 80s. An absolute legend who had an impact on so many people in sports in this area. 
I don't think there's a person that I've spoken with or heard from in the last few days that has not had their career influenced or assisted, helped by John Short in some way. And that includes me. Uh, when I first started getting into sports media, covering uh, Oilers prospects for hockey's future, he started having me on his show as a regular guest. And then for an entire season, after Edmonton Oiler home games, he would do his show from uh, Northlands Park, which was right across the street from Northlands Coliseum or Skyreach back then. So I would go, I would cover the game, I would do the uh, post game in the dressing room, and then I would walk across the street to where he was, and I would sit in with him for a couple of hours, two and a half, three hours, for uh, the post game show. That was on uh, Team 1260 back then, before it became TSN 1260. And I did that for a full season. And you know that old saying, uh, never meet your heroes? Uh, that does not hold with John Short. This is a guy, I was really intimidated at first. I remember actually when I was a kid, maybe 14, something like that, from Cold Lake, I had phoned to be on his show because he used to do this thing every once in a while where he would just open it up for phone calls from kids. I called in. I was super nervous. I actually recorded it on a cassette recorder with one phone receiver, landline, of course, playing directly into my cassette recorder while I was on the another phone receiver. It's really technical back then. And I remember my question, we were talking about uh, the NHL All-Star game that year. And being a big Philadelphia Flyers fan, I always thought Brian Propp never got enough respect. So my question was why a guy like Brian Propp wouldn't be part of the All-Star team. And so when it was my turn, I, you called in and you, you give the producer your name. And uh, when John took my call, he misheard my name and called me Dean. And then took my question, I said, basically all excited and nervous, uh, why isn't Brian Propp in the All-Star game? And he answered that, and uh, then he followed up and asked me if I wanted to ask anything else. He said, how about Guy Carboneau? And he was patient and took his time answering that as well, and that was it. That might have been what I would consider my first brush with a celebrity, because that was John Short. Anyway, so fast forward from whatever that was, 1985, 84, to 2003 or 2004, you know what I'm suddenly 32 or 33, still nervous to talk to John Short until you talk to him. And then he is the kindest. doesn't matter who you are. You could be a 10-year-old kid. Always took the time to listen. You know, we'd go to commercial break. He'd be asking me questions. He'd always be complimenting me. Say, I like how you handled that caller. And that's really good information that you're providing. Stuff like that. It was just encouragement. It was great feedback. Unfortunately, one of my greatest regrets also ties into a John Short memory as well. And this will be more of a confession that I'm making here. I haven't, I don't think I've shared this with anybody, publicly at least. But at that same time, when I was doing that season with John Short, uh, I was doing it for free. I mean, it was just a thrill to, to, to sit in with him. But I was also doing someone else's show on a regular basis who said, how much is John paying you? And I said, well, I'm, I'm not getting paid. He said, well, if, if John's not paying you, why should I be paying you? And just getting into the business, not knowing the way things work or didn't work. And at that point, my wife and I had just had our first kid and there were complications. Anyway, it's a hard luck story, blah, blah, blah. But money was important. So the next time I, w I was doing a uh, post game with John, I quietly said to him, hey, is there any way that you could pay me? And John being John didn't say anything, just looked at me, said, I'll see what I can do. Internally, he must have been thinking, what the hell are you thinking asking me this, kid? 
And now, looking back on it, what I should have said to the other host was, I'm working for free with John Short because he's a legend. I appreciate the assistance and the opportunity from both of those gentlemen, but I felt awful asking John for money. I I was embarrassed. And the next time we did a post game, he gave me some cash and I took it and I felt awful. I felt guilty since. I mean, it wasn't much. It was like 20 bucks, but still the amount isn't the point. It was my inability to recognize the opportunity I was getting by sitting next to John Short and getting to work with him and just learning through osmosis and observation of how to do the job. That was the payment. That was the gift. And it wasn't shortly after that season until he had basically uh, retired from the radio and uh, never crossed paths again. But I had always had it in my head that if we did, and I happened to have 20 bucks on me, I would pay him back. And did not uh, get that opportunity, which is a regret for me now. Now, as for Robin Brownlee, longtime writer in the, in the Edmonton area, but had been covering the uh, the Edmonton sports scene for as long as I could remember, whether it was football or hockey or uh, amateur sport boxing, I always found Robin to be kind of intimidating, to be honest with you, especially when I first got to know him. And I'll tell you a story quickly about uh, one of my earliest uh, memories of Robin Brownlee after we'd met. And you know, I'd been covering the Oilers for maybe two or three months. I, my first year covering the Oilers and actually attending training camps and, and practices and going to games and all of that and sitting on the catwalk with credentials was the year that Mike Comrie was holding out in training camp. I remember the first press conference I was at was the Kevin Lowe one where included the lines like, I know something a, a little something about winning. That was my first press conference. And that was at training camp. And I'm sure it was maybe a month into the regular season in the media room for the pregame meal. At that time, it was in uh, Skyreach Center. Rexall Place, whatever it was, where the media and the scouts would uh, gather for their meal was behind the upper deck in one of the corners. And from there, we would uh, go up the stairs and to the catwalk and then up the, the stairs to the catwalk. And then, of course, you're on the catwalk. Anyway, we're in the media room and I'm sitting at a table. Robin was there. I know Jim Matheson was there and probably some other people as well. But at some, some point, Maddie called Robin Rubin, which I'd never heard before. But that was his nickname. Jason Greger's got a great story about that as well, which uh, you can also read, I believe, at Oilers Nation. So check that out. So as the story goes on, at some point during the meal or maybe at the, at the end of the meal, maybe we're cleaning up our, our stuff, throwing out our, our plates or whatever, whatever it was. At some point, I called Robin Rubin. No big deal. So I go up to the catwalk. I take my place. I'm sitting in my chair before the game and everybody sort of takes their own time to get to their position uh, on the catwalk. It was assigned seating, so everybody had their place. So I was in my seat, and uh, at one point, Robin was going to his seat, and to do that, he had to walk behind me. It wasn't a big walkway. It wasn't like a wide uh, space to walk to. Basically, two people could walk at a time, and I was in my chair. So Robin was coming uh, from my left. I remember it very vividly, and uh, stopped behind my chair. I was sitting, clasped his hands on my shoulders, one on each shoulder, firmly, not like he was digging his fingers into my shoulders or anything, but firmly, holding me in place, put it that way, leaned uh, leaned down like he was going to tell me a secret, and he says to me, and I'll never forget it, and I'll censor this uh, in case you're listening on uh, Edmonton Sports Talk, but he says to me, don't you ever freaking call me Ruben again, do you understand me? Let's go of my shoulders, 
continues walking to his chair. So here I am, new guy, absolutely crapping my pants. Just instant sweat. I'm just in shock. I'm in horror that I've offended this guy who I had on a pedestal. I was a big fan of Robin Brownlee's work. So I am just rattled. This is before the game. And I'm sure he knew it because I think it was in the second intermission. He came and found me. I was by myself at the time. And he smiled. He said, you know, I'm kidding, right? To this day, I'm not really sure he was kidding. But I never called him Ruben again. I'll tell you that much. Robin was one of those guys, in my opinion, that was hard on the outside, but inside a real soft, gentle soul. Both of our kids spent uh, time at the Stollery Children's Hospital in Edmonton, so we had that sort of connection that we shared. When Team 1260 or TSN 1260 would do like Stollery Day and you'd broadcast from the Stollery, it meant something special for both of us. He would, from time to time, send me uh, direct messages, never texts, but he would send them to me on Twitter. You know, whether it was something uh, that I wrote or something he heard me say uh, on the radio. A lot of time it was praise. Sometimes it was constructive criticism. Whatever the case, it was great. He actually, he used to be a really big guy and lost a lot of weight. And we would talk about that because I'm a big guy. So while he was big and gruff and maybe a little prickly on the outside, I think he was a really good guy. And both he and John Short, they're going to be missed. Uh, So I just wanted to spend this opening segment today sharing those Thoughts and stories with you, because when I heard the news, uh, it was uh, it was definitely a gut punch, and it was a one-two gut punch, because I heard the news on both of those gentlemen, maybe 20 minutes apart. Anyway, let's get uh, on with the show, and uh, the four guests that you're going to hear from today, here's the order that we will do it as well. We're going to begin with Dave Starman, who was uh, covering the World Junior Championship for the NHL Network in the United States. Obviously, it was a gold medal victory for Team USA, so we'll pick Dave's brain about how the Americans got it done. From there, we'll go and we'll turn on the 2024 draft spotlight, and one of the top players out of the Western Hockey League this year, his name is Berkeley Catton. He plays for the Spokane Chiefs, who are in town on Sunday. Really well-spoken kid. I think you're going to enjoy that conversation a lot. Really talented player, so we'll get to know Berkeley in today's episode and that will be followed up with a Jordan McAlpine from the rink live as the USHL slash USA hockey is having the all American prospect game. It's basically like the CHL top prospect game, but in the USHL that'll be happening next week. So uh, Jordan will tell us which players he's focused on and we'll end it this week with uh, Kurt Hill, the GM of the Edmonton oil Kings after the WHL trade deadline is now come and gone. What does the landscape look like in the WHL's Eastern Conference? And how about those Oil Kings? Turning it around now, what's the focus of the club in the second half of the season? We'll talk to Kurt Hill about that. But Dave Starman is up next. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Adam Fantilli spins a pass, though. Samuel Skevich up high, scores! The Sting ran over time, up high! Pierces one by Corpy and Chicago wins a thriller. Four to three, Mackie Samoskevich, welcome back, Stingray. Hey, this is Mackie Samoskevich from the Chicago Steel, and this is the Pipeline Show. Done. Buddy, want to come over and watch the game? I'll make a big salad. Uh, I don't know. 
know, man. Steve, come over and watch the game. I've got a massive salad here. Yeah, my wife needs me to go shopping with her. Mike, want to watch the game and eat salad with me? Who is this? Did I mention I've got a bunch of Wilhawk beef jerky, too? I'll be right over. I'm heading over now. I'm already at your front door. Wilhawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Wilhawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there, children. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show as we begin this week's episode in fine fashion as we're going to recap the uh, the World Junior Championship, at least from the uh, gold medalist's perspective, as uh, Dave Starman uh, joins me now, who was in the studio and covering the World Junior Championship for USA Hockey, or not for USA Hockey, but for the NHL Network, was, wasn't it, Dave? That's who it was, 16th year that the NHL Network has done it, and real happy that I've been around for all of them. It's been it's just been a great ride and these kids just write they write an unbelievable script every year and we just have a great time following along with it. Well, I know going into this year's event, uh the US was my pick for a gold and, and I thought it would be the US and Sweden in the gold medal game. I was a little, I did have Canada and or Slovakia. That was my bronze medal game, Canada and Slovakia. Of course, they were both out in the quarterfinal. Outside of that, I didn't think there were a whole lot of surprises, but it's always funny how there's a story that sort of emerges or something like that throughout a tournament. Anything like that stand out for you this year when it comes to the to the World Junior? I think a couple things popped this year. One was just the, the really great play of Cutter Gauthier, who's the draft choice of the Philadelphia Flyers. And listen, I'm old enough to remember John McClare. And, boy, does this kid ever remind me of a lot of things that John McClare did when he was a Philadelphia Flyer. He's big, he's strong, he moves pucks well. And the, the one thing that really caught you with him was he is a shooter. Like last year when he played for the U.S., the men's world championships, he led everybody in the world championships in shots on goal by about 20 shots. Hmm. So you think you've got this big reputation coming to being a bomber. And in the two exhibition games against Sweden and Canada, he was one-timing all over the place. Then the tournament started, and my God, did he become this multi-dimensional offensive threat who used his body well, played hard, scored, play-made, retrieved pucks, played really unselfishly. Like To me, I thought Cutter Gauthier on this stage, a lot of people got a really good look at what the future of the Philadelphia Flyers are. You know I'm a Flyers fan, Dave, so that uh, that makes me very happy to hear. I wasn't expecting him to have assist most of his points were from assists i think of him as a shooter as a goal scorer i was a little bit surprised to see he leads the tournament in scoring uh or or shares that lead but only two goals uh, it's almost like he kind of for this tournament at least reinvented himself a little bit or was he just snake bit i mean he was taking a lot of shots oh no he wasn't snake but he was really distributing the puck really well like you could see those especially on the power play there was he was such a threat. Now, the power play started, he and Jimmy Snugger had started on opposite flanks. And, I mean, that is just pick your poison, right? Because both of those guys have insane one-timers and, and can score from the dot with ease. And then Snugger got sick, so he missed one game. And they broke up the power play unit. So, Goche wound up being really the, the one-timer threat on his unit. But his puck distribution to the middle of the ice where – for a while, it was Howard and McGroarty, and then it became McGroarty and Brindley on that unit that were bumper and slot. His ability to receive a pass and either go back to Hudson at the point 
hold on to it for a quick second to draw some coverage and then seam it or look off a little bit and then throw a really good pass into the slot for a tip or whatever. I thought it was just really impressive. So I don't think he was snake bit. I think he was just showing off a lot of his game that maybe some people didn't see. Interesting. Uh, Gavin Brindley also having a strong tournament for the Americans this year with 10 points, and so did Gabe Perot also with 10 points. But what do you expect from Brindley coming in, and did he exceed your expectations? You know, Brindley's so much fun to watch because he's just so fast. Yeah. Right? He's so skilled. He's a coach's kid, so he's smart. He gets it. He's He, he understands. Like, he is one kid who understands where space is, and he knows how to get to it. And I just think with his hands and his feet, he made a lot happen throughout the course of that tournament. And I thought he was really good on the power play. He was really good even strength. That line, like we said it on the broadcast early on in the gold medal game, that the U.S. has got four very distinct lines, but that the Brindley line was just percolating under the surface, in my opinion. It was probably going to explode. And boy, did they ever in that last game. And a lot of it has to do with Brindley's speed, Brindley's ability to get to lose pucks. He's really competitive. He doesn't lose a lot of 50-50s. And he's really good at his own end. I mean, I, I love what he did. And you you could just see that he plays at the University of Michigan for Brandon Arado. I mean, he is just a great example of what Brandon Arado is as a head coach. I, I know there were a lot of returnees for the Americans. Next year, it's going to be more of the same, right? I mean, the, that entire line with Perot and Smith and Leonard, they're all going to be back again next year if they're not busy in the NHL. Just to have that much experience from one year to the next, that's huge at an event like this. What did you uh, What did you like about the way those three guys played together this year? It was so much fun to watch them play because of their chemistry, and you know, there are three guys that are very unique together too. You get, you know, Ryan Leonard's kind of in the Gauthier Snuggerud model. He's a big power forward who can score and can go up and down his wing, but he's also got some creativity where he can go east west and make a play and trust his hands. And you know, then you, you get on the other side, you get Perot. Perot is just so smart it's like it's fun to watch him play because of the way he thinks the game and but you're you might be watching it from above and you say to yourself i could see where i think he should be going to and by the time you finish your thought process he's there already mm -hmm. and with the puck without the puck doesn't matter uh, a couple of big face-offs a couple of big goals i really like the way he played he's just a neat little player and you know then you get smith in the middle and then like my goodness was that kid good whether it be on the dot or Distributing his speed was a was a huge factor. So you got big Leonard, you got shifty Perot, and you got a quick Smith. It's just a fun line to watch because they all bring something very unique. I know going into the draft last year, the knock on Perot was that he wasn't necessarily all that fast. He was an average skater. I thought on the big ice that might get exposed a bit. I didn't think that was the case. Now I didn't see the tournament as much as I do most years, but did that did it stand out to you at all? No, I, I think his ability to think the game and be a little bit ahead of the of the process right. was one of the reasons why he fit in so perfectly. I mean he had he had the ten points, played a ton. I just I mean I love the way he played. He scored some big goals and like here's the thing, I I don't think Perot won them the gold medal, but he was a big reason why they won. And a lot of things that he did were plays that we're not gonna talk about because they weren't sexier impactful in terms of changing a game, but they made a difference when they made the play. I understand what you're saying. Uh, I know when a, a team wins a gold medal, quite often the uh, the attention gets focused on the guys who led the way in scoring. Who, are there one or two guys that come to mind that sort of glue players, just the guys that uh, make everything come together, 
maybe get go unheralded a little bit, but you probably don't win without them. Anybody like that come to mind? Uh, you know, it's a good question, and I'll tell you what. One of the things that we brought up a lot was there were three defensemen who I thought played really, really well through the first through the first six games, and then and, and that was for sure. It was Renzel, it was Chesley, and it was Polkamp. Now those are guys that you don't think of as scorers. They're not the fancy dance. They're not. Hudson or Casey or Booyam, you know, not that category, but they defended well. They defended hard, stick on puck, hands through hands, good gaps, good physicality where it was necessary, good rideouts, killed plays early. Like, I thought they were a big part of this as a lot of the tournament went along. And, you know, then you, you get the get the offensive side guys, you know, like a and, – and, right, and the guy I forgot to mention was Drew Fortescue. Like, Drew Fortescue was terrific. You know, moved pucks, broke up plays. Was was good in front of the net, great where they needed him. Had a couple of points where where he needed, got a had a goal. I mean, plus six, he was like Fortescue was real good. But then you know the offensive guys were were a big part of it too. Like Lane Hudson, Seamus Casey, Zeke Bulliam. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness, can those guys make things happen? Hudson is. I'm not sure Hudson knows where he's going to go when he gets those feet going, but <laughs> but he's so creative. He's so good at getting himself out of trouble. And Bulliam was really fun to watch as a draft eligible player because sometimes you don't know what you're going to get with them. And Seamus Casey, to me, looked like a man among boys at times. So, like, under the surface, I think the U.S. Defense Corps, which was singled out as potentially being a little too undersized, played exactly to its identity. It was a big reason they won. Well, I wasn't sure which goaltender would uh, would be in the net if uh, the Americans got to the final game. But uh, as the tournament went on, uh, Trey Augustine really established himself as that guy and deserved that opportunity. wasn't a great tournament for Jacob Fowler. I, I think he would probably admit that himself, but... Augustine was terrific. Oh, Augustine was awesome. And here's the funny thing: like it was a, we kept it secret really well, but we all kind of had the, the feeling and the sense reading between the lines that this thing was set up for Augustine to take it through the mental round, if if he was playing well. Like it was his kind, it was his net to lose. Okay, and I Fowler was good. I thought Augustine looked cleaner at times, but I thought Fowler was good. And something before the tournament, I had a conversation with David Lassonde, who, as you know, is the goalie coach at the national team development program, and I'm just a wonderful human being. And, and in my opinion, right now, he's godfather of U.S. goaltending. And he said to me before the tournament with Augustine two things. Number one was they had a conversation, and he said to Augustine, don't let the games that got away from you at this level define you, meaning that bronze medal game last year that he couldn't finish, that Caden and Barrico had to come in and finish for him. After, when, after a pretty good tournament. So that was number one. And number two was, he said to me, in that Canada exhibition game, when that score got to 5-5, Augustine had that look on his face like he needed to shut it down right there and then. Even though it was an exhibition game, the rest of that exhibition game could determine how the U.S. did in the regular World Juniors because they had a lead, Canada came back, conference is a little fragile, and he felt like that was a defining moment for that team to be able to hold on at that point, and he needed to shut it down, and he did. So, to me, those two things helped Augustine play to his identity as being the big game goalie they wanted him to be, and he played that role extremely well. One more thing about the U.S. team I wanted to mention, Jimmy Snugger, and I was really impressed, not with him in this tournament, but he played yesterday for Minnesota as, as for the audience's benefit. You and I are chatting right now on Monday evening, uh, he came back from Sweden and got into a game right away, I think like the, the next day or something like that from, from a, what his travel schedule was, 
and played pretty good. I think he got three points. And, in fact, he's probably playing right now as you and I are speaking. I think uh, Minnesota and Colorado College are on the ice uh, right now or are about to be. To me, there are a lot of guys who were knocked out of this tournament a lot earlier than uh, than when it ended who haven't played a regular season game yet for their club team. And he gets right back onto the ice. That That's pretty impressive to me. Well, you know what it's like, right? When you lose at the Road Juniors, you want to take a little time off because you lost and it stinks. Mm-hmm. But when you win the Road Juniors, the first thing you want to do is go put your, skate- <clears throat> excuse me, put your skates back on and go play. And I mean, he's just a monster. And I I love the way he plays. He plays that just an enthusiastic style. He's a kid who loves the game. It does not shock me at all that he landed and told Bob Botts, go, hey, I'm playing. And what was Bob going to do? Tell him no. Yeah. Right? I mean, so good for, good for Snugs. There's a lot of other college uh, uh, hockey players that were in the event. I know you were focused on the Americans, and but you would have seen some of them playing in uh, against the Americans along the way. Uh, anybody that stood out to you that you might see uh, in the second half here as you get as you yourself get back to college hockey? I won't see him myself until the national tournament. But holy smokes, did Michael Rabel play extremely well for the Czechs? I mean, I know he had one bad game there towards the end. He looked exhausted in that game. I'm trying to think who they played. I think it was. Wasn't the Canada game? He just looked tired. It was the last game he played. He looked exhausted, hmm. but he played unreal against the Americans, and he played really well in a lot of other games. And I, I, he's playing at the University of Massachusetts. I think that this kid is a rock star, and he has been really good for Greg Carvel throughout the course of the first half. There was one night I called Carvey and I said, "How'd your team do?" I texted him as we were coming back from a game. I had just coached, and he said, "We should all be in jail because Rabel just stole another two points." <laughs> so I mean, it's a huge factor for them, and. And he really caught my eye with the with the kind of player that he was. I mean, he was just fun to watch. Uh, Adam Guyan was in that uh, that bracket with the Americans as well, playing for Slovakia. I know he's going to be at uh, Minnesota Duluth next year. Looks like he had another strong World Junior performance. He did. He didn't play the Americans though. Like that was the okay. game he didn't play. It was a position they didn't play. But I mean, I know how good he is, and and like he was the star of the tournament last year, as we all know, and and he put up some big games this year too. I, I've seen improvement in him also. He he looks like he is starting to get to that crossroads of being able to use, use his athleticism, but also be very structured and not have to overreact. So I, I think he's he's taken a step, and Minnesota Duluth has done really, really well with goalies coming out of the North American Hockey League, and he's going to be the latest North American Hockey League goalie to go and start at Minnesota Duluth. The 2025 World Junior will be in Ottawa, and it was announced in 2026 it'll be back in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, I, personally, I was hoping that it would go somewhere that hasn't hosted yet, like maybe Seattle area or Portland, Oregon, something like that. Uh, but you can't go wrong uh, taking it to Minnesota. It's going to be well attended. It should be terrific. What was your thought on the choice, though? The XL Center in Minneapolis there in St. Paul is one of my favorite buildings ever. I mean, I've done eight frozen face-offs there. I've done two regionals there. I love that building. That building is a hockey building. It's laid out really well. It's the area around it's terrific. Like I think that the buzz in St. Paul when World Juniors comes back there is going to be just phenomenal. And Mariucci Arena, where the University of Minnesota plays, is also going to be perfect. There are two buildings that can handle a lot of teams. There are a lot of locker rooms. There's a lot of space. Seating is great. Sight lines are great. The both buildings look terrific on TV. I I love it. I think it's a great call. It's the state of hockey, and with the way hockey has grown in this country, it's a great place for the next celebration of the greatest under twenty players in the world. Did they change the the size of the ice at Mariucci from Olympic size to like from international size to North American size? 
Yeah, because we were talking about that at NHL Network, and a couple of people had brought that up. They're like, wait a minute, I thought the Gophers play an Olympic-sized sheet. And I said, no, they, they don't. They brought it in. And I think there's only like two or three teams left at the NCAA level that are still playing on the full Olympic size. But there are teams that are starting to bring it in a little bit more. Part of it, I think, is recruiting, and part of it is if you're training players to go to the National Hockey League, yes. especially from these blood programs, you might as well play on the same surface they do. And I, I know there's a couple of ranks that are still like 200 by 90, which I kind of like, but a majority of them are starting to pull into 200 by 85. Yeah, I was thinking because if you're going to have the World Junior, you, you kind of kind of play on the same ice surface uh, for the two pools, don't you? I mean, that's I'm sure that's how they'll they'll break it up. No, no question. Yeah, they're, they're both definitely 200 by 85. Yeah, Dave, this has been terrific. Uh, anything else you want to touch on before we uh, before we let you go? Uh, I. Uh, the next game that I've got, I've got St. Cloud State and Denver coming up on Friday night. And I think it's a cool matchup because you got the head coach of the gold medal winning team and David Carl from Denver. Yep. And one of the assistants on that team was Brett Larson, who's the head coach at St. Cloud. And both of their programs are rolling right now. So I love the fact that those two guys, the other world juniors, their first games are against each other. And their teams are playing really, really well. Whenever St. Cloud and Denver get together, it's fun. So. I'm looking at that. I'm looking forward to a really good second half of the NCHC. And, of course, looking forward to chatting with you as you get closer to the Frozen Four. Absolutely. We'll be doing that. Dave, this has been terrific. Thanks again for doing it. You got it. Always a pleasure, bud. There's an old friend of the Pipeline Show in Dave Starman, who uh, does a lot of appearances here, talking college hockey, but uh, we always get him on at World Junior Time as well because he's always involved in the coverage for the NHL Network uh, for our friends south of the border who uh, don't watch it on TSN like we all do up here. Now, first thing you'll notice, that was uh, on Monday afternoon, as I'm speaking with you right now, it's Monday evening. Well, the Cutter Goche trade has already happened. Uh, He's been traded from Philadelphia to Anaheim for Jamie Drysdale and a second-round pick. And my initial reaction to that was, yeah, I'm a big Cutter Goche fan, but at the same time, I'm a Flyers fan first, and the guy doesn't want to play in Philadelphia for whatever reason, then I guess you have to move him. And I'm happy that the Flyers did that before his value uh, tanked, you know. And I know there was already talk about how he didn't want to play in Philly. He wasn't at the uh, summer prospect orientation camp that every team puts on. He didn't go to that. So I think there was already some questions. We've talked about that on the Pipeline show before. But is his value going to be any higher than after the World Junior Championship? Probably not. So they peddle him, they trade him off, to the Anaheim Ducks. They get a pretty good player in Jamie Drysdale when he's healthy, and that's been the question for uh, Drysdale. little security by getting a second-round pick as well, but that's not till 2025, so it doesn't really help out right now. But if you're a Flyers fan like me, let me know what you think of that deal. Hit me up on Twitter, at TPS underscore Gee. The other thing is Jimmy Snuggerud. He was in action while we were having that chat, and he scored a hat-trick tonight. Unbelievable. My hat is off to that kid. Comes back from Sweden, wastes no time, gets back into the lineup for Minnesota right away, has a three-point game on Sunday, and backs that up a night later with a hat trick. Unbelievable. Well, Snuggerud's a talent, and so is my next guest as we turn on the 2024 draft spotlight, and uh, we're going to get to know Berkeley Catton of the Spokane Chiefs. Catton has been in the spotlight uh, for WHL watchers for a couple of years already as the first overall pick back in 2021 by the Chiefs, and everybody has been waiting for this year for him because he's expected to be the first player taken out of the Western Hockey League. 
for the NHL draft, or will he be? It's a pretty strong year for the WHL, and I put that question to him. Let's hear from Berkeley Catton of the Spokane Chiefs. Next, you're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Now Connor Hoff ships the puck to center for Steele, lead a 2-1-1. Steele across the line, right side, waits, goes backhand, and scores! Oh my, what a goal, Sam Steele! He absolutely undressed Trevor Martin for a second strike game! Hey, I'm Sam Steele from the Regina Pats, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious, man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Three Edmonton and area locations: Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. We're going to turn on the 2024 draft spotlight and get to know another player that is eligible for the upcoming NHL draft, and if history tells us anything, my next guest won't have to wait long to hear his name on draft day. He was the former first overall pick in the WHL draft. That would be Berkeley Catton from the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, Berkeley, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm pleased to get a chance to speak with you right now. I know it's it's a hectic time for the Chiefs because you just started this, uh, this trip through the Central Division uh, as we're speaking right now, it's Monday. You've played two games already. You got four more to, to go this week. It's a lot of hockey in a very short period of time. Yeah, it really is. Well, how do you deal with that? As a, as an athlete, you need to get your rest and your nutrition and all of that stuff. You probably not a whole lot of time for practice right now because you're playing so much. No. How do you balance everything? Yeah, I think it's just you know it's it's kind of the same as back at home, but just you know you're on a bus in a hotel. So I, I think we all take it pretty seriously here and and. We get good meals all the time, and our schedules are set out pretty easy for us. So it's it's not too bad at all. It's actually pretty fun. Every once in a while, you like to mix in a, a lengthy road trip like this. It's good for team bonding. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, like I kind of say, sometimes it's pretty cool for lots of our guys are from Alberta. So you know, to get to play some hometown games. And last year, I got to play in Saskatoon. Yeah, for a hometown game, and it's pretty special. So we're not out here very often. So yeah, we take this experience in and, and enjoy it. Well, how, what's the mood like around the team right now? I know you, you've lost your first couple of games on this road trip, but uh, by the time most of my audience will hear this, uh, you'll have another two or three games under your belt uh, through Alberta here, uh, so things may have turned around. But just in, set, in general, the the atmosphere or the mood around the dressing room with the way the team has played this season, how's things going? You know, it's okay. And uh, right before our swing here, we were on a four-game heater. So yeah. we, we came in, and then, you know, we were playing well these to start these past two games, it just kind of fell apart. So I don't think we're pressing the panic button or anything. It's just, you know, kind of getting back to how we were playing there. And I'm sure this next game we got here against Lethbridge will, will be a good one. And I'm sure we'll come out on top if we play our game. I, and I know the team has been scoring a lot more recently. You talked about that four-game winning streak. It's nice to those nights when uh, you can put up uh, some big numbers on the board. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think that, that kind of comes with 
when the whole team's playing well, I think everyone gets their their points or whatever. But yeah, like like you said, it's 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 good when those nights happen. All right. Well, right now as we're speaking, you've got 58 points in 20 and uh, 24 of those are goals in just 35 games. You've already surpassed your rookie season totals in every category. Uh, I have to think on an individual basis, you're pretty happy with the way things have gone for you this year. Yeah, it's been okay, but I think uh, you know, kind of going back to the team thing. It's I just really want to win hockey games, and I think our goal this year is to you know make the playoffs and and do some damage once we get there. So I think our kind of first goal is just to get to the playoffs, and once we get there, I think we can do some real damage. But on a personal note, it, it's been pretty good. I'm pretty fortunate to be playing with two really good line mates as well, which has helped me out a lot. Well, I, I'm I think I know who those two guys are, but maybe for the general audience, they might not know. Uh, who are you getting to play with for the most part this year? And has it been the same two guys all season? Yeah, pretty much. I played with Connor Roulette all this year. Then Birdie's been off and on our line. Chase Berthlet, sorry, he's been off and on our line. But right now we're all playing together. So, you know, we're we're a fast and skilled, smart line. And I think teams have trouble handling us. So it's it's been really fun actually playing with them. Really good for, I mean, for a young guy like you to have two veterans as well. Not not only can yeah. they play, but they've been around. They know the ins and outs of this league. And I, I have to think that helps you with your own sort of personal development and growth. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and like just talking with Connor this morning, actually, it's kind of crazy how he's, you know, been in this league for five years already and everything I'm going through right now, he's gone through two or three times probably already. So, um, you know, it's nice to have a guy like that or in chase as well, I guess, just to, if you ever have a question or whatever, there's a guy to lean on. And it, it's awesome. It's, I think not just me, but my whole, our whole team, they, we really rely on them a lot. Man, it makes me feel old when you say that Connor Roulette's been in the league for five years already. Holy cow. I know. It goes quick. Yeah. Berkeley Catton, my guest uh, here with a forward with the Spokane Chiefs and uh, draft eligible player. Berkeley, the, uh, the pipeline show, it's a junior and college hockey show. So my regular audience will, will know all about you. They'll know about the WHL. Uh, but because you're such a highly touted player, before the draft, there'll be casual NHL fans who don't care about junior hockey at all uh, that uh, will listen to this because they want to know about you. So for the benefit of those people, uh, maybe let's get some background. You mentioned already you're from Saskatoon. Uh, did you Do you remember how old you were when you, you first started playing hockey? Who got you into hockey at a young age? Oh, that's, you know, where I'm from, everyone plays. And <laughs> I think it was my dad. He, he built a backyard rink for me, actually. I think I was two years old couldn't even skate yet and you know I was just that's kind of where I learned and and grew my game honestly in a sense so he, my dad would be the one who who got me into it and you know that the backyard rink is a core memory of mine and kind of where I started at about two years old. You're a forward now have you always been a forward or did you try other positions uh, in your youth? Yeah I've always kind of been a forward but I, I tended to play up when I was younger so I was kind of all over the place you know sometimes older guys kind of boss me around and I'm a 10 year old playing with 13 year olds or whatever so I played left wing right wing but now I'm kind of playing playing down the middle so I don't really care but I've always been a forward yeah a lot of guys I'll talk to on this show I'll ask them you know maybe when they're six or seven their their team didn't have a full-time goaltender so everybody was expected <laughs> to take their turn in net have a night like that yourself yeah I think uh I think it was, it was pretty funny Roger McQueen I'm sure you know that yeah we we played each other and uh, our dads are pretty close and we made a truce to like both put each other in nets like he went in net for their team and I was in net for our team and I think they ended up winning I think I had 10 shots and like eight goals or something <laughs> not a goalie that's for sure but yeah it's kind of a funny story so 
Yeah, once or twice probably I've put the pads on. So why the truce between the, your your fathers, just so you wouldn't light each other up? Well, sometimes we'd play and it'd be a you know a seven six game and he'd have seven goals out of six goals. So right. I think if he was out that game, he might have put ten past me. So yeah. We just they just made a truce to put each other, both of us in that, which is pretty funny. Uh, that is pretty good. Uh, Berkeley Catton, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We mentioned the uh, the Bantam draft and your first overall pick in 2021. Take me back to that day from your perspective. I know some guys are you know waiting at home or they're at school and they're trying to follow along on their phone, trying to figure out when they're going to be taken. I seem to recall it was was it even announced the day before or something that Spokane was taking. I mean, there was no real suspense. Yeah. Yeah. What was draft day like for you? Yeah. I, so I, I think with the league, if you, they can sign you a little bit before if you have the first pick. So right. I even signed before the draft. So I kind of knew going into it, but uh, lots of my family was, was at my house and we had the live stream on or whatever. And, you know, to hear my name announced and it was really special still. Yeah. It was, it was a really fun day, honestly. And, you know, like I was talking about Raj before, he went not too far behind me, so it was a really special day for everyone in, in our hockey community in Saskatoon. Well, there's 22 teams in the league. Unless it's Saskatoon that drafts you, you know you're moving away from home. When yeah. you know, Some guys get nervous about that. Oh, maybe I have to go all the way to BC or something. You leave the country. You go to Spokane. <laughs> what was that like for you? Was that intimidating at all? Yeah, I think you know I'd be lying if I said it, it wasn't a little bit intimidating, but I think once I kind of got down to Spokane and, and saw how everything was ran and how well everyone's treated, it was it was an ease in my mind a little bit, I think. So it was uh, definitely wasn't actually too hard to transition. I thought it'd be way harder with, you know, it, it's been honestly the best couple of years of my life here that, with how close I've got with all these guys and everything. It's It's been really cool. Berkeley, you've had the opportunity to play uh, represent Canada a number of times. U17s, U18s this past August at the Hlinka Gretzky Cup. I know a lot of guys will say it's an honor and, and things like that, but what does it mean to a to a player to to wear his national colors? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I you know I can remember being a little kid on the driveway pretending I was wearing a team Canada. I'd throw my team Canada jersey and pretend I you know scored the big goal or whatever. Then all of a sudden you're actually doing it and almost surreal i i you know every time i put on that jersey i just really am so happy and fortunate uh it's the only, the best way i could put it is it's pretty surreal you know when i was a little kid uh playing on the driveway i would be i'm way older than you so i was gila fleur or i was you know brian prop or <laughs> yeah. something like that i was a flyers kid but uh <laughs> yeah that's awesome who were you out on the driveway um oh i have so many i probably said Sidney crosby most right. of the time I'm, not even going to lie. Or Steven Stamkos. I liked him, too. Uh, those two guys, I had their jersey. So, you know, whoever's jersey I had on, I was I was him on the driveway. Nice. Perfect. Well, you know, uh, a lot of the uh, the scouts will certainly have their book on you already, but the uh, the scouts that listen to the show, and I, by that I mean fans who aren't actually scouts, but they want to know everything about you. <laughs> For somebody who's never seen you play a game before, maybe you're, you know, they're going to come to the game here in Edmonton this weekend or something and, and finally have a chance to watch yeah. you. What should they expect from you when they see you play? Uh, can you give us a bit of a, a self-scouting report? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a competitor. I'm a really competitive guy, and I like to have the puck on my stick as, as much as I possibly can. And, and when I do get the puck, I think I'm a, I'm a really smart player and, and can contribute to my teammates pretty well. And I think I make my teammates around me, uh, you know, get opportunities and whatnot. And I think my, my skill set with my skating and my, 
my hands, I would say, allow me to make, make some plays, uh, you know, with my brain as well. So I think if I had to put it into simple terms, I think I'm a smart hockey player. Well, the sheet I'm looking at lists you at 5'11 and 163 pounds. I don't know if that was at the start of the year or if it was at the end of last year or how up-to-date it is. Uh, what are you at right now? I don't know what the that weight is. I'm 174 pounds right now, and I, mean, I think I measured it at, yeah, 5'10 and 3 quarters. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the weight is, but the, the height's pretty pretty dead on there. All right. So, I mean, you're average height-wise. You're not 6'2 or 6'3, but you're not 5'7 no. either. Um, no. Do you do you think that's a challenge for you to to advance at the next level where you think size might be an issue, or do you think the way you play you kind of uh, figured it out that you don't have to be six two or six three? No, and you know the height I definitely don't think will be, but you know I think just putting on some some weight will definitely help me out. But you know you turn on the TV and watch an NHL game and you see guys like Kirill Kaprizov, Clayton Keller, or, you know like Jack Hughes just yep. take over games, and I'm the same height or taller than some of them, so. I think if, you know, I can put on a couple pounds, it'll help. But I don't think it'll be an issue, no. That's a perfect way of looking at it. I know uh, when I ask guys on the on the show about the draft, some guys don't want to think about it. They don't want it to be a distraction, so they put it to their back of their head. But other guys tell me that they actively, like, they'll Google themselves and see who's got them ranked where, and they, they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you? Yeah, I, you know, I think at the start of the year, I was kind of that shying away from it and want to, you know, look at But I think now I'm just embracing it it's you know this is a a year that only happens once so i'm taking it all in with you know the rankings and some guys will have your ranked high or low i, I don't really care too much to be honest with you i just kind of you know uh, try and grow my game as much as i possibly can and you know if i if i do see something that's maybe a little negative i'll talk to my agent or coach or never and try and you know grow my game with it so i think just this year it's about growing as a player and a person. I like that idea, or I like that answer. Um, come draft day, I know it's a really good uh, crop of players uh, out of the Western Hockey League once again this year, and I'm sure you know have played with or against a lot of the guys that are considered to be other first-round candidates. Uh, for the longest time, you were always the guy pegged out of this league to be the first guy. Now there's there's a lot of players it could be. How competitive are you from that sense where, no, you want to be the first guy to the, the WHL. You don't want it to be you know, maybe Roger McQueen or some of the other guys uh, that are uh, up this year. Does it matter to you where you go or how high you go? Well, yeah, I don't. I think if I, you know, play the way I can, I don't think that'll be in too much of an issue. But I don't know. I don't really, you know, there's maybe a team I need a defenseman or a big power forward. I don't know. That's kind of up to them. But, you know, like I said before, it's not really something I worry about too much. I just, you know, if I play against that guy or whoever I want to, I'll work on that game or I'll play them. That's just kind of the way I look at it. So, you know, it's it's not going to – it's not a make or break or anything. But if I ever do play, you know, a guy that's highly doubted, I want to play him every shift. That's kind of the way I look at it. Sounds like a competitive guy, that's for sure. Berkeley, what do you like to do away from hockey, like in the off season when you're not training or, or getting ready for the coming year? How, what do you do to unwind? Uh, you know, kind of, I think, pretty basic hockey player stuff uh, – I like to golf, obviously. Then back home when Saskatoon, such an awesome group of guys with hockey wise, even like Kevin Korczynski and Braden Yeager, Riley Height, Caden Price, Kate, Kaelin Lynn, the list goes on. So then we're all pretty tight. And uh, yeah, we'll, you know, get a game of spike ball or whatever. We always seem to be doing something competitive. So we're, we're all pretty competitive group and we're always doing stuff, which is pretty fun. And 
yeah, we work out together, skate together, and we hang out together too. So it's pretty fun. Just just always doing something with them. Well, whenever I get somebody to say they're a golfer, I have to ask uh, what your favorite course is. It doesn't have to be a world-famous one or anything like that, but it could be your local community course. Where do you like to get out? Probably the Willows in Saskatoon. It's where I've had my best couple rounds. So, uh, you know, I know it pretty well. And if I ever want to take someone out to see how good I'm at golf, and I'll take them there because I know that course pretty well. So probably there, Willows in Saskatoon. I think I've played that course once. If it's the one I'm thinking of, is it on the north end of Saskatoon? No, it's kind of more south, but I'm sure you play it. It's probably one of the most popular ones in Saskatoon. Okay, maybe it is. Now, being a Saskatchewan guy, I thought fishing would be one of your big off-season things to do. Yeah, my, my grandpa actually had a cabin growing up, so I was always fishing, but they, they sold it not too long ago. So I haven't been fi- I didn't fish at all last summer, but growing up, that was a pretty big part of my childhood, actually. It's funny you say that. Biggest fish? Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever caught a master in anything. It's just little pike, probably, I don't know, 10 pounds probably, nothing crazy. Oh, that's still a good-sized fish for sure. Yeah, not bad. Awesome. Well, listen, Berkeley, this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, the Chiefs and yourself come through Edmonton uh, this coming weekend. Uh, Best of luck the rest of the way on this trip and the rest of the season. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Berkeley Catton of the Spokane Chiefs is having a heck of a season uh, for those Chiefs, and one of the big reasons why that club is right in the thick of the playoff uh, race. That could really change uh, with depending on how they make out with this trip through Alberta. They will be in Edmonton this weekend to take on the Oil Kings. That'll be on Sunday. But before that, they've got Calgary on Friday and uh, Lethbridge and uh, Red Deer. Depending on when you're listening to this, those games might already be in the books. So we might have an even clearer picture of where the Chiefs stand. But I'm looking forward to that game. I I like it when the American teams come up because we only see them once every two years. Uh, So I look forward to these ones. And uh, the Chiefs and the Oil Kings have played some, some good games in the past. So I'm looking forward to this one. Feels like my voice is giving out a little bit. I think I've come down with uh, a bit of a uh, a throat situation. I apologize for that. Hopefully that gets rectified before the games. Or Andrew Peart will have to treat it like a road game and uh, he'll be wearing both hats, doing play-by-play and color. All right, well, Berkeley Catton will be going to the CHL Top Prospect game, something I didn't actually ask him about. That was my fault. Uh, but the USHL Top Prospect game, well, they call it the All-American Prospect game doesn't feature just americans though which is something we'll talk about with jordan mcalpine from the rink live that's next you're listening to the pipeline show brought to you by willock beef jerky yorkstrand hustles after it gabrikov off the point Schillinger, his first in the national hockey league hey it's paul Schillinger, the two false stampede and this is the pipeline show is lonely. Yeah. So Trevor threw a big party and served salad. Nobody came. Mike is also lonely. Yeah, it sucks, man. So Mike threw a big party and served Will Hawk beef jerky. Go Will Hawk! Go Will Hawk! Everybody came! Will Hawk beef jerky. Because you don't win friends with salad. Will Hawk is the home of Alberta's best beef jerky. In Leduc, Spruce Grove and West Edmonton Mall. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Excellent! We are back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and uh, in this segment, we're going to look ahead to the upcoming All-American Prospect game that the uh, that USA Hockey is putting on. Uh, 
in collaboration with, I'm assuming, the USHL and, and probably NHL Central Scouting as well. It's going to be in Plymouth, Michigan uh, next week. And to help me go through the roster is Jordan McAlpine from the Rink Live. Uh, Jordan, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good. Anytime. Uh, happy to join. I was going to say it's a, a fun time of year with uh, obviously the calendar flipping into a new year, but uh, World Juniors just wrapping up. Uh, the the All American Games right around the corner, and obviously uh, on, on my end of it, plenty going on with the uh, the USHL, NHL, and uh, the kind of the junior and college scene throughout North America here. So definitely uh, a busy time of year. We we got snow on the ground too, finally. So I guess it feels more like hockey weather outside here, but uh, yeah. The next couple of weeks here, it's going to be uh, going into the deep end, so to speak, with uh, a lot of the stuff going on. Yeah, we were just chatting uh, before we started recording the interview about the, the weather in both of our locations, how we've been spoiled up to this point, but eventually we knew winter was going to arrive, and it's hit both of us here this week. So I guess you're right. It is uh, hockey weather now. Uh, this big game next week uh, for the I, – I, I keep wanting to call it the USHL Top Prospect game. It's what it used to be called. <laughs> Uh, and then they change it to the All-American game, but it's not just All-Americans now. It, you you kind of mentioned it briefly as well. You like that it's not just Americans now. Tell me why. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those things where you you go back uh, over the last decade or so, and, and at one point, as you just mentioned yourself, it was the USHL top prospect game. And for uh, for the league standpoint, and, and listen, I get it. You look at it, it's hosted at USA Hockey's Arena, it's the, the NHL Network Appeal, to uh, kind of promote on, on that stage and the uh, the American-born prospects and, and USA Hockey's talent. But at the same time, you got the USHL angle producing or feeding oh, half of the players in that game and all the teams involved there that uh, if you're going to label it as a showcase of the top prospects, you might as well get the best of the best uh, on a yearly basis and, and showcase your best players, so to speak. And, I mean, you look at it this year, there, there is a lot of American flavor on the rosters, and by by good reason with with the talent uh, that that these kids have. But at the same time, I know a few this year. Uh, you've got Matt Van Gruden, the uh, Muskegon Ford. He's a Russian kid. Pair of Canadians with Michael Hage uh, from the Chicago Steel and Sasha Boyvera from Muskegon too. So finally, uh, starting to get get a little bit of the the international flavor in there. And at the end of the day, it is still a uh, a predominantly American-driven event, but at the same time, I do like from the standpoint of showcasing the best talent uh, that you're, you're opening the door for that, and, and hopefully we'll see that going forward continue to be the case. I didn't go up and down through the roster and check the the birth certificates of, of every player, but those three that you mentioned, uh, Matt Vigreed and, and Sasha Boisvert and, and Michael Haig, they're, they're, I mean, two Canadians and one Russian, but on the roster for this game, they're listed as being two of them from Muskegon, which is, happens to be the team they're playing for, uh, and uh, Haig as if he's from Chicago. Why do you, why do you think they're doing that? Uh, it's, uh, I, I've wondered the same thing, and I actually noticed that too when, when the roster came out. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, I, I guess it's just the way they're listed on paper that uh, you, you know it and I know it. Their 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 nationality and where they're from uh, is, is not American initially, and no. here again. Uh, Maybe it's a, a a loophole or a way to to continue calling it the the all American team per se. And I mean, even I've joked with a few people. Uh, I've had a bad habit the last few weeks of, of still referring it to the Bio Steel game, and <laughs> that they uh, they shifted that over to uh, to Chipotle, which is uh, kind of, doesn't really matter in the big picture, but just kind of a, a little funny quirk with it too. But no, with the the way those guys are listed, that uh, 
I caught that caught my attention too. But yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be interested to see if uh, if come next Monday if uh, if anything's listed differently. With that. Yeah, seems weird. I, I suggest if they keep having not just Americans that they change the name back to the USHL top prospect. And I remember the USHL when uh, Skip Prince was the uh, the commissioner of the league. Now, this would be 2011. Actually, flew me down to cover the game, the top prospect game. It was in Muskegon that year. Flew to Chicago, then drove mm-hmm. around the lake uh, up to Muskegon and uh, cover it. I-, I thought it was a great event. There, there were a bunch of Canadians in that game as well. Kevin Rouleau, I remember, uh, was the the big name uh, forward out of that draft that year for the USHL. It just seems like an opportunity to showcase your league. And the international component of the league as well. While you're at it, yeah, and there actually it, it is kind of interesting. I, it predates me covering the league or, or even working in hockey for that matter. But even I, I remember as a, a kid going to it one year in Omaha when they hosted it here um, when it, when it was the USHL Top Prospect Game. And I do think going forward, and it, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. You look at it with the NPDP influence. I mean, you go back to last year, you. You got the Smith, Leonard, Perot, Moores of the world can keep going up and down it. You look at this year's roster, you got Hagens, you got Cole Eiserman, uh, Teddy Spiga, and keep going up and down the list with, with the NTP guys that I do think there is an element to, to having those guys in the game, which here again, you, you have the USA hockey tie in with it. But from the USHL standpoint, I, I do think going forward, it would be an interesting, uh, interesting concept and, here again, you can't break away from it completely, but to, whether it was going back to rotating it around different venues around the league or yeah. having it being exclusively USHL players, that it uh, it would be an interesting way way to showcase and, and have more eyeballs on it. The the one thing I will say is, you go back ten years ago and they started doing it. It's a uh, it's a lot easier to watch USHL games on a nightly basis now for for fans, scouts, media, you name it. Sure, but. Uh, if you want to see player X or, or player Z throughout the season, you, you can watch them on a random Thursday night when Sioux Falls is playing Sioux City or something like that. That you might not have had that uh, that ease of watching throughout the year, which may maybe kills the the appeal of seeing seeing everybody uh, in one night. But at the same time, I do think it would be good uh, for the league standpoint to to expose your best kids and have everyone under one roof with uh, with all the eyeballs directed on that game. Agreed. Jordan McAlpine from the Rink Live, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're looking ahead to next week's uh, big showcase event in the USHL uh, for the upcoming NHL draft. All right, let's talk about the players who are actually in this game. Uh, I know uh, Central Scouting came out at the start of the year with their uh, watch list. There's two USHL players given A ratings and two given B ratings. Everybody else was C or lower. Uh, and then, of course, you got the National Development Program kids involved as well. The uh, the part-time USHL guys. Um, there's lots of players though to watch in this game. Who who do you have circled at the top of the list? Yeah, they uh, for so for for fans that are familiar with the roster breakdown for it, they uh, they split it into two teams: Team Blue and Team White. They usually try to divvy up the NTDP kids uh, as close to evenly as, as they can. I know last year it was uh, they they had the BC line split up a little bit, and and some of the uh, the kids on different teams, but. 45 players are in the game this year. Um, most of the USHL is represented in terms of each team having at least a kid there. There's a few that don't. Uh, at the same time, there's still a chance um, the next week that we're going to see these rosters change a little bit too, barring injury or, or other situations coming up with it. But for uh, 
the kids that we've got in place right now with the 45 there, uh, in addition to the NTP, there, there are a lot of kids in it, but uh, a couple off the top of my head, a guy we've talked about on this show before, Trevor Connolly, he's really heated up the last few weeks here. Uh, it's coming off a six-point weekend for Tri-City. You saw it uh, last month at World Junior A, the, the speed and skill that he can just simply take over a game. I'm, uh, I'm really interested to see in, in a game like this, you yeah. It's an all-star game, so you might not have the the future Norris winners, so to speak, out there playing defense. But just see uh, see his skill and how that meshes with some of those other other likewise uh, talent around him, and at the same time going against the, the stiffer competition. But uh, looking down the rest of that roster, few interesting kids. Uh, Max Plant from the NTDP is having a good year and kind of flying under the radar in, in a lot of retrospects. Um, John Mustard, he's a rookie forward from Waterloo in the USHL this year. Maybe not the the biggest name in terms of uh, draft or prospect rankings, but he's uh, quietly quietly garnered some attention this year, and he's having a really good year with uh, with a Waterloo team that, frankly, has been a, a good surprise. And going uh going with the NTDP kids, Hagens is at the top. Cole Eiserman, I know, is uh, considered where he is in a lot of draft rankings for a reason to to see that shot on display again. And uh, one other name that I'll throw in there that, that's having a really good uh, good breakout season with Sioux City this year is Caden Shahan. That uh, here again, maybe not per se the the A-rated players like a, a Sasha Boyvere or, or the Connollys of the world, but definitely uh, for the year he's had in the USHL this year, earned the invite. And uh, in, in games like this, it is kind of interesting to see how they match up against some of the, uh, the other kids at their age group that are considered the best of the best. What was the name of that last player? The uh, cell phone connection was kind of wonky, just as you were saying his name. Was it Will Scan? Uh, Caden Shahan. Oh, He's Caden a, Shahan. Uh, right, right shot forward for Sioux City. He's actually tied for the uh, the USHL's goal lead right now um, okay. with 21 this season. He's a second-year guy for, for the Musketeers up there, and he had a good rookie season, and he's kind of come into his own uh, throughout this uh, the first half of the this season here. So it's kind of uh, – one of the first big ticket or big stage events for him, so to speak, to to get on to get on display there. So we'll be interested to see how he handles it. I know a lot of the uh, the players that we've mentioned are are mostly forwards. Is there a, a a big name draw on the back end? Like, is there a defenseman that immediately draws your attention when you see this list of players? That I'm thinking maybe it's Cole Hudson, but uh, I was looking more at the USHL guys than the uh, the national program guys. Uh, but who comes to mind there? Yeah, I will say this year's B-Core, and there are, there are some decent prospects on there. There's not a kid that exactly jumps off the radar. The, the forward group is by far the, the strength of this year's game in terms of name credibility, if you will. But you look at it, you mentioned Hudson. He's right there at the top of it. Uh, will Skahan's had a, speaking of him, has had a decent year for the NTDP. But, uh, those are the two from, uh, from the program. But USHL-wise, um, just a, a couple guys that, in terms of pro potential, uh, Adam Cleaver, uh, he's a Minnesota Duluth commit, plays for Lincoln Stars right now. Big right shot defenseman, uh, started to use his shot a little bit more this year, and it's a pretty, a pretty good one on the back end. But I know good skater for his size, that uh, potentially the the type of frame and, and player that NHL organizations covet in the long run. That uh, we'll we'll be interested to see how he finishes this year and eventually plays at the college level. But uh, he'd be a name to watch. And then the other one I'd give you um, is Will Felicio, who is actually this past week was traded in the USHL to uh, the Waterloo Blackhawks. But last year, uh, as a 
on a Madison team that had the league's worst record and, and really struggled throughout the year. He uh, put up the most points by a U-17 defenseman in USHL history. So he's uh, he's had a good year this year, too. Um, he played played from the Holinka tournament over the summer, kind of a, a good skater, quick puck mover, and he's uh, got good vision and a good shot from the point. So we'll be, uh, be a couple names from the USHL uh, blue line to follow in that game. Well, there's four goalies involved as well, Jack Parsons and uh, Nick Nick Kemp from the National Development Program, then uh, Thatcher Bernstein from uh, Dubuque, and uh, Caleb Hale from the uh, Sioux Falls Stampede. Uh, of those four, is one clearly the best goalie available this year? Uh, it's, an, it's an interesting question. I don't know if I'd say one is the, the best of the group. In terms of long term, I, I would maybe say it's Caleb in that situation. Uh, the only thing is this year with Sioux Falls, uh, kind of, I guess, to walk it back to last season, really blossomed late, was uh, was playing with essentially a triple-A program in Sioux Falls and, and got called up. He was practicing and skating with the Stampede, who were the, the USHL team in Sioux Falls, um, and got called up to join them late in the season and won five games and as a young kid really really seemed to handle the USHL with, with ease and in, uh, in his first experience with it that coming into this season was uh, was expecting big things out of him. He just committed to North Dakota. He had a really good summer at the Hoenka tournament too that uh, seemed to have a lot of a lot of positive momentum trending into the season. And uh, he's been good, but he's also struggled a little bit. Uh, just real quick, his numbers, he's 6-7-1 here. He's got a 3-5-7 goals against an 8-70 save percentage. So <sighs> by uh, by no means is it is it earth-shattering or, or Vezina winning, so to speak. But at the same time, he's still a young goalie, good frame. You, you talk to any other coaches around the USHL or, or college coaches and uh, scouts here in the Midwest, that I have over the past year, that there's a lot of excitement about him. At the same time, size-wise, he comes in at six one, and he's just under 190 pounds, so he's not exactly a, uh, a a huge goalie in the crease by any means, but he moves well and has a uh, a lot of good habits that you like to see out of a young goaltender there. So I don't know if I'd say he's the clear cut um, top guy of of the four that are in that game there, but of uh. Of them, I'd say he's maybe one to watch going forward and just kind of see how the career pans out. Yeah, not great numbers there. Uh, after uh, when you mentioned those, it didn't sound like a guy who was going to be grabbing a lot of attention. Although maybe uh, depending on the quality of the team that he's playing uh, behind, that always comes into play. All right, Jordan, uh, are you making the trip to uh, watch the game in person, or are you going to be watching it online? I, I will be watching it online this year. I actually went up uh, went up to Plymouth last year, and definitely was a uh, was a fun experience and terms of watching the game and for uh for fans that that don't know you, you go to a game like that that pretty much turns into a who's who of uh of scouts and execs from uh from around the ushl and, and obviously the nhl scouts and and college guys too there so it's uh the fun networking and in addition to the game it's a fun experience for the weekend but uh has has some other stuff going on and a lot a uh, lot planned coming in the pipeline here so just uh Decided to, to stay home this year and watch it uh, online, but looking forward to seeing uh, seeing the game next Monday, and that can be watched on uh, on NHL Network for uh, for fans that are looking for how to tune in. So perfect. Uh, and what do you got coming at the rink live uh, in the next little bit? Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of USHL content. We've been doing uh, some more individual player features. Uh, actually, went up to Sioux City. Speaking, of, I know we talked about Shahan a little bit, um, and got a chance to see him and. Yeah, uh, play him in Sioux City. Play Madison last weekend, so got some stuff from that. Um, we do bi-weekly power rankings throughout the year, 
for uh, for the USHL and the NOL. So be on the lookout for those. And uh, I know in addition to to my work, so to speak, uh, the college level has been hitting it hard with a lot of that stuff. And for uh, for fans in the the upper Midwest, um, Augustana, which is the the first year D1 program in Sioux Falls, they'll be opening up their uh, their new building here at the end of this month. So nice. a lot of uh, from the company standpoint, a lot of excitement to to get up there and do some stuff on the uh, the new rink and new venue. Excellent. Well, lots to look forward to. Uh, Jordan, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Yep, anytime. There's Jordan McAlpine from The Rink Live with a uh, a preview of the upcoming quote-unquote All-American game featuring some of the uh, top players in the USHL and the National Team Development Program that are eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. Will you be watching? He says it's on the NHL network that I'm guessing would be south of the border. I don't believe they'll be showing it up here, but maybe I'm wrong. All right, I've got one more guest to get to, but that one won't be for a, a day or two. If you are a, a patron and you're listening to all of these interviews pretty much an hour or two after they happen, then you might be listening to this on Tuesday or Wednesday. The full show won't come out until Friday, but on Thursday, I plan on having a conversation with someone. I'm not sure who that will be, but it'll likely be a WHL trade deadline uh, segment. Maybe it'll be Andrew Peard and I during an intermission at uh, the Oil King game that night as they're playing the Tri-City Americans. Somebody else that covers the WHL and just kind of reflect on what happened. That might even have to wait until Friday morning. And then I'll put the show together and uh, get it out to everybody. I don't want to wait a week to do that because then it'll be old news by then. So that is the plan. There'll be one more segment. I don't know who it is. Come back, and we'll find out together. You're listening to The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Left wing side, surveys Borowski to the offensive zone. Pass right side. Henry is shot, and he scores. Oh, what a goal. 21 seconds into the second, and the Pats lead 3-0. Hey, uh, this is Nick Henry from the Regina Pats, and this is The Pipeline Show. The Oil Kings are Edmonton's first choice for family fun. Your Edmonton Oil Kings are back in the thick of it, taking the WHL by storm. And you can be right there cheering them on. Great family entertainment starts at just $20 a seat or never miss a game with season seats as low as $9 per game. Thrilling Western Hockey League action, amazing theme nights, and special price kids' food combos at every home game for $10 or less. The entertainment value is king-sized. Secure your seat for the next action-packed, exciting Oil Kings home game today at oilkings.ca. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I see you like to chew. Maybe you should chew on my fist. All right, welcome back for one final segment on this week's episode. And uh, as I promised, it is audio from uh, the Oil Kings game on Thursday night. Intermission guest. It's not Andrew Peart and I, but I am joined by the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings. That's Kurt Hill. Thought I would take the opportunity to uh, talk with him about the trades that he made and sort of the timing of all of those trades, how they all came together, what the direction of the team is now for the uh, second half of the season. I also picked his brain a little bit about the power structure now in the Eastern Conference of the WHL as I would suggest four teams went out of their way to improve, which means a couple teams likely uh, what I described as pulled the shoot on the season. And there are some other teams that kind of just stood pat. Where do the Oil Kings fit in that mix? 
Right now, they're sitting in 11th. I did screw up and I said 12 because this is the first year that there aren't 12 teams in the conference, so I messed that up. But I was happy for the conversation, so let's uh, share that with you right now. This is from Thursday night when the Tri-City Americans were in town to take on the Oil Kings. This is the home of the Edmonton Oil Kings, iHeartRadio. All right, we are back at Rogers Place into the second intermission. The Edmonton Oil Kings hosting the Tri-City Americans, and we are deadlocked 3-3. My name is Keith Flaming. Andrew Peart is still in the building, of course, and uh, pleased to be joined now in our booth by the general manager of the Edmonton Oil Kings. That's Kurt Hill. Uh, Kurt, welcome back. Happy New Year uh, to you. Yes, you as well. Walk me through uh, what was a very busy trade deadline for you. Not exactly on deadline day, but... Everything from Christmas, I mean, you made a lot of moves. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the phones kind of after that last game here on the 18th, the phones kind of started. I thought it was going to be maybe a little bit more of a week off, but, right. uh, you know, I think maybe maybe half the teams took time off then, and there was <laughs> some other guys that really wanted to try to get some stuff done, and it, just, it seemed like uh, talks with Seattle and uh, Moose Jaw were, were going pretty strong, and, you know, Seattle started calling some teams on our side and talking about Sachin, and, you know, once they did, it was... You know, in talking with our staff and, you know, our scouts, we knew a lot about Grayson and scouting them when we had a high pick in the U.S. prospect draft that year, that year and even the year we took Fiddler in the draft. Right. We scouted Lucas pretty uh, pretty heavily as well. So um, it was something we were certainly going to be aggressive on, and um, we were able to make it work. And part of making that work, too, was recouping some assets. And, uh, you know, that's where Port and Kovacevic go to Moose and they were being aggressive on that front as well. Right. I was wondering if those two trades happened kind of, for us, from outside looking in, it was almost simultaneously, but I didn't know if one led to the other or or vice versa. Could you do one without doing the other, put it that way? I think we could have. You know, the, the thing that really triggered the Moose Jaw one was the the injury to Port. At the end of the day, he was he's going to be out probably till you know, mid-February, if not the end of February. Right. So um, with that being the guy they were after pre- pretty hard and uh, them not wanting to do, to, do, to do the deal unless Kovacevic was in there. Yeah, that's um, tough. You know, we knew if we were going to give up some pretty big assets for Sachin, we wanted to recoup some to still, you know, have the cupboards a little bit full here to not to say we're going to use all those draft picks to, to draft players, but uh, have yeah. inventory to make deals in the future. Well, Sauchin is an exciting player for sure. My concern when I saw those deals was, okay, you're giving up Pilling and you're giving up Kovacevic, two guys who I think are your natural shooters, uh, and you're getting a guy in Sauchin who's definitely talented, but statistically speaking, more of a setup guy than a shooter. I think he can shoot, but probably elects to use his passing skills more. Was Reef? Did you feel confident in trading the the guys away that you did? Because you got guys coming back to the roster finally healthy, like Skylar Bruce and Ty Nash has uh, found his scoring touch. Was that a concern you didn't have because you felt you had scoring still to come from within? Yeah, cert- certainly. I knew we we were going to have guys coming back, and uh, you know. I think a lot of guys underachieved in the first half just with how banged up we were and and being pretty thin in the lineup a lot of nights. But at the same time, you know, the difference with Sachin is he can, he plays the middle and he he's, he's a huge competitor and there's so much that can open up when a guy at center can play with that much skill and make plays consistently. So, um, being able to add a player like that who's a true number one center in our league for half of this year and all of next year, was it was a no-brainer for us. Didn't know much about Andre Tomasec when you brought him in. Uh, statistically speaking, he had nothing uh, on on the ledger uh, in Moose Jaw or at the Helenka Gretzky Cup. Uh, but he's got a couple of points already for you. And I, watching the games on the road, looks like he's full of hustle. Uh, is that what you expected from him, or what do you see from him long term? Yeah, you know what? He's a guy that just he's working hard right now, trying to find his way in the league. And uh, you know, 
again, he didn't play a lot of Moose Jaw, so we, right. we had we had scouted him in the past with some uh, Team Slovakia stuff. We knew a little bit about him, not a ton, but, you know, he's the kind of guy that plays a real hard 200-foot game. He actually put up some production and through his time in Finland when he played um, junior hockey over there, but uh, I like what he's brought to our team. He's going to, you know, he's going to play on that bottom six, and mm -hmm. he's going to work hard, and if you need him to jump up a little bit too, he jumped up on the road a bit too and played with, uh, you know, the, the the Nash and Jekyll line a little bit there. So, mm. um yeah, no, I like what I've seen so far. He's a great kid off the ice, fluent in English, too, so really easy to integrate into our group. Nice. Uh, the last guy that mo you moved out was Carter Kowalik, and uh, you bring in a big, another big player, very similar by all accounts, in Ismail Abagosh. Uh, what are you expecting from him? Is that basically what you're expecting, is to be Carter Kowalik, same, fill that same uh, job description? I think very similar. You know, uh, with Wally, it's been, it's been a tough go here with injuries for the last little bit, and... Uh, you know, to get a year younger with a very similar player, it yep. was, uh, and again, getting a pretty good piece of draft second capital, round pick, second right? round pick as well in that. So, um, yeah, something we certainly like the look of. And, um, you know, once we knew we were getting that pick too, it really made us really consider making that deal and getting a, and getting a little bit younger. Obviously, he's not going to be quite have the veteran presence that Kowalik has in the league, just having been on a championship team. And But I like where our decor is right now with, with Lajwa being able to, to help some of these young guys along this year. And uh, he's certainly going to be a guy that will grow with our group here moving forward. Well, you're 12th in a 12-team conference, 8th uh, place, not or 11th, 11th in an 11-team conference, rather. I'm still used mm -hmm. to having an extra team here. Uh, the playoffs aren't out of reach, but it's still an uphill battle. But is that the goal, though? to get to the playoffs and anything can happen from there or is it just playing meaningful games down the stretch and being competitive what's the mindset of the organization right now well certainly with the group in the dressing room and you know even with us right now it's uh, let's win as many games as we can right now and try to get get as close as we can you know it's going to be it's an uphill battle when you dig yourself a big hole like that it's yeah. it's tough to make up that many points uh, especially in the second half when games are are so tight and there's so many three-point games but you know, I think our guys are—they're going to play to win every night, and hopefully, we can get closer. And we're we're close to the playoffs at the end, and playing those those playoff-like games. But at the same time, here, playing these tight games is huge for our group, and just this core being able to continue to grow together and and play those meaningful games, like I said, is huge. Well, uh, the teams that you're chasing—a couple of them clearly pulled the shoot on the season for themselves. I, I, that's me speaking, but Regina doesn't make the deals they did if they were trying to make the playoffs, and same with Calgary, I would suggest. Uh, so you're chasing teams like Prince Albert and the Brandon Wheat Kings. Maybe they fall back to the pack a bit, having moved uh, Nate Danielson. When you look at the top end of the conference, and I don't mean to put you on the hot seat, but what do you think is the pecking order now? Because a lot of teams made some big additions. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, really at the top, the guys that made those big trades in Saskatoon, Moose Jaw, and Swift Current, it's... Uh, you know, Saskatoon, at the end of the day, they've that's a group that's been together for a long time for the majority of the team. So they got a real good defensive structure there, a good goaltender. So, you know, I think right now from the onset, they're they're, they're the top team in, in the conference for a reason. And then, you know, Moose John Swift, can they, they got a lot of guys now to fit in and gel with the group. They've right. made lots of deals. And, you know, not to say that they're, they, they won't be better than, than Saskatoon in the end, but they certainly are a little bit behind the eight ball with having to get guys used to each other and, right. and try to find what the right mix is there. And then, you know, Medicine Hat's kind of the dark horse. They're just the, the young guys, <laughs> the young guns, I guess you want to sure. call them. And, you know, they seem to be playing pretty good hockey and playing with a lot of uh, offensive mojo. So I think those four teams, you know, it's uh, 
they're going to be tough to get by in that in that first round. And you don't mention Lethbridge at all. I'm a little, you know, I th I think Lethbridge did a pretty good job of improving themselves. A guy like Sean Chagall, I think, fits in there pretty well. I still think they have really strong goaltending with Harrison Menigan. Still a, a notch below the other four, though, in your opinion. I think, in my opinion, you know, but you never know. Maybe those those trades can can bring that group together. They, yeah. like you said, they do have good goaltending. They like to play a defensive-minded system and and play tight in that in that Bill Peters system and. You know, one thing about Lethbridge is once they're in, it's a tough building to play in in the playoffs. So, sure. um, you know, if if they if there's someone that can knock one of them off, it might be them. Yes. Or I'm sure they're going to give somebody fits at the end of the day. Was there anything that you would hope to accomplish before the deadline that just didn't come together for your? You know what? There was we we were kind of kicking tires on maybe trying to get one more offensive guy if we could, an older player in 04 that maybe will be on could be a guy on our team next year. Right. But at the end of the day, at this point, when you're when you're chasing that at, at the deadline, those are pretty heavy prices. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think that's certainly something now with uh, with where we're at, we would probably like to at some point look at adding an 04 forward when we get into next year just to, just to complement some of those offensive guys we have. Well, I made a list of the ins and outs, and there's a lot more players out of the lineup now than in, but you bring in uh, uh, Hudson Perry is going to finish the year off with you, and, and Kerner as well is going to stick with you. What do you expect from those guys the rest of the way? Like, how much is Hudson Perry going to play? Oh, well, I think it'll depend on where we're at. Like, if we're if we're in a playoff race, you know, he's with those guys. They're they're 16, so they got to play a, a league minimum of games. Like, you have to get him in so right. many. So with with Perry, he's gonna have to play at least eight here on the okay. onset. And uh, Kerner, I believe it's 19 of the last 31. So wow. Uh, so they're gonna have to play some games. They're gonna get some playing time. And uh, just like we've done with guys in the past, getting opportunity to get them, you know, acclimated to the group in the second half, I think is important. And I think the list of the guys out is just long too because of how many injuries we had. We yep. actually, I think there was a time we were carrying 29 guys here, so yeah. it was it was quite the list of uh, of extras. But uh, you know, lots of good lots of good people that uh, we had to say goodbye to. But uh, you know, I really like uh, the makeup of the group in there right now and where we're kind of trending for the future. With how many injuries your team had to deal with in the first half of the uh, the season, getting so many guys back off the injury list now. It's almost like kind of making trades without making any trades where you're getting a lot of help just getting Skylar Bruce back and Reese Peterson and they're all filling roles and Ethan McKenzie maybe before the end of the season? Yeah, I think so. He's trending that way. I think, uh, you know, I don't know how quick it'll be, but I'm probably thinking early March. Hopefully he'll get in some games okay. here before the end of the year. Excellent. Kurt, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. There's Kurt Hill, GM of the Edmonton Oil Kings. That from Thursday night, the uh, Oil Kings, the Tri-City Americans, connected uh, for a pretty exciting game. Scoreless after the first period, 3-3 after the second period, and it ended up being a 6-5 game uh, victory for the Edmonton Oil Kings, who now go into the weekend having a 6-3-1 record in their last 10 with their eyes firmly fixed on 8th place. Right now, that's being held by the Prince Albert Raiders, Here's the question for you, the audience, when you're looking at the Eastern Conference. This is how I see it. You tell me if I'm crazy. I have Saskatoon still as the best team in the conference, but that gap to the Moose Jaw Warriors and the Swift Current Broncos has narrowed. But statistically speaking, they've got a 10-point lead over Moose Jaw right now. I still think the Medicine Hat Tigers are the best team in the division, the Central Division, so they'll get the number two seed. So I think it's Saskatoon, Medicine Hat, then Moose Jaw and Swift Current. And that's actually what the standings are right now as well. Moose Jaw and Swift are two points difference between them. Red Deer is sitting in the number five spot currently. 
they did not improve at the trade deadline, but they didn't do anything to take away from their team either. They are just what they are. Whereas the Brandon Wheat Kings, did they get better? No. Did they get worse? Well, they traded Nate Danielson, so they're not better for sure. The potential is there for them to drop. I think the Lethbridge Hurricanes, who were in seventh, they did get better. So I could see them moving ahead of Brandon. I could see them moving ahead of Red Deer and being the number five seed. I still think Red Deer is better than Prince Albert. So I'll say Red Deer finishes sixth. Then it's a question of how far does Brandon fall? Can Prince Albert catch Brandon? Right now there's six point difference. Lots of hockey still to be played. I'm going to say that yes, they can. I'm going to pick the Prince Albert Raiders to finish in the seventh spot. Then it becomes how much more does Brandon fall? Can Calgary, Regina, or Edmonton catch them for that final playoff spot? Well, Regina and Calgary, as I said to Kurt, they pulled the shoot. They did not improve their teams. In fact, they got significantly worse. So I expect Edmonton to pass both of them because I think the Edmonton Oil Kings are better now than they were a month ago. I think they would be better now than a month ago simply for the fact that they're getting healthy players back. I wouldn't say it's necessarily because of the trades, although a guy like Souchin obviously more than a point-per-game player. He's He's been a really good fit here for Edmonton so far. So I think they're better for two reasons, because they're healthy and because of uh, getting Grayson Souchin. I think it's going to come down to Edmonton or Brandon for that eighth and final playoff spot. Agree? Disagree? Think I'm crazy? Like somebody else? Let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. That is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week on the program, we'll have to uh, reach out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League and the Ontario Hockey League and see what see what the trade deadline activities do to the power structure of those two leagues. Maybe we'll dip south of the border and get updated on what's happening in college hockey or the USHL or the NAL. Always lots to talk about, that's for sure. Reminder, if you want to uh, get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the program, if you're driving around in your car right now and you're listening to Edmonton Sports Talk, or maybe you're just at home listening to Edmonton Sports Talk, you're hearing the full show. Maybe you don't realize that you can actually hear all of these interviews individually shortly after they are actually done and recorded. I edit them. I put them up on the Patreon page. And supporters of the show who uh, chip in a couple of bucks a month, they have early access to all the interviews. If that's something that would interest you, why don't you give it a free seven-day trial and see just what it's all about. That's all available at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. All right, the Oil Kings are in Red Deer. Andrew Peard and I are making the drive down. In fact, I'm driving this time. And Edmonton is back on Sunday afternoon to take on the Spokane Chiefs uh, with Berkeley Catton in town. So a busy weekend, and it is super, super freaking cold throughout most of North America. As I'm speaking with you right now, it's minus 32 degrees, and it's the middle of the day. It was minus 40 overnight. That's Celsius, folks. So it is cold. Stay warm, take care, and meet me back here next week. Between now and then, get out and watch some junior college hockey if you can. Maybe you're watching it on TV or your computer. But then we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Keith Flaming. See ya!